there's definitely a physical component with nutrient repletion and like the adrenals and sleep and pelvic floor and so much more when it comes to pregnancy spacing. But there's also just like this readiness factor and like, are you emotionally ready to have another baby? And what do you need to do for yourself between that? Because, you know, when you, when you're, you're pregnant, you're breastfeeding and then you're pregnant again, your body is focused on another person. Do you have enough time for you? Do you feel really good physically, emotionally? Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing podcast, where we empower women to better support their families. Our goal is to educate on real food, raising little ones, and becoming our best selves. everyone. I'm Michelle Taggy. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. I have a master's in analytics and I am the co-author of the postpartum prep guide on real root food for real moms.com. I am excited to say that it is out and I'm a mom to three-year-old Connor and seven-month-old Ashlyn. And I'm actually already thinking about preparing my body for potentially having a third kid. No decisions have been made, but that's where I'm at. And today I am talking to Kim Perez. Hi, Kim. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Kim is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, owner of Root and Branch Nutrition, and mom to her now one-year-old son, Henry. She specializes in helping women feel amazing in their bodies, especially after having babies. Particularly inspired by her own pregnancy and postpartum journeys, Kim has a goal to fill in the major gaps in prenatal and postpartum care and support, especially the messages we give new moms about their bodies and their health. She's passionate about holistic nutrition and self-care and works to empower moms to prioritize their health and happiness, nourish themselves, body, mind, and soul, and give moms more grace through the ebbs and flows of life and motherhood. She offers support through one-on-one functional nutritional therapy virtually, as well as online workshops and programs in her newest release, The Ultimate Guide to Fourth Trimester Healing and Nourishment. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I am so, I'm so excited to get into a lot of that, but why don't you tell us about yourself? Like you, you said you're inspired by your own journey, Um, But I believe you're already working in women's health before you had your son and got pregnant. So I'd love to hear how you found nutrition and how you became interested in this pregnancy and postpartum space. Yeah. So I was working in women's health before, um, but even before that, um, I got into nutrition really the way that a lot of us do. um, And that's through like traditional dieting and exercising. And um, as a kid, I was like, I was overweight. Um, and when I hit my teen years, I I think I was 13. Um, I was like, okay, I I don't feel good in my body and I want to feel better. And the, the way that, you know, I knew how, and those supporting me knew how was, um, to diet and start exercising. And it helped me to lose weight. And I obviously, I, learned a lot through the process, but also it inspired a lot of negative um, body image issues and disordered eating, which through the course of the time after um, led me to just explore nutrition 
more deeply and explore exercise more deeply instead of, you know, dieting and restricting, learning to nourish my body and eat the foods that had a lot of nutrients and were supportive of my body and learn how to strengthen my body and exercise as a way to feel good versus a way to burn calories and be smaller. So that all inspired me to go into this field of nutrition and and specifically functional nutrition. And I opened my practice um, 2015. So it was five years ago in August. And my goal at that point was I want to help women um, avoid a lot of the, the things that I had suffered through, um, not only with diet and exercise, but also I had a lot of hormonal issues, really, really painful periods, um, digestive issues my whole life that I never got a hold of until I learned about functional nutrition. So I kind of opened my practice up to focus on, you know, any woman that needed my help. And I started to really just narrow things down to like hormones. And that of course, naturally led to supporting women, uh, planning pregnancies through pregnancy and after. And my whole, my whole experience in this field, and I'm sure you can relate to this is like, wow, the information that we've been told is like the mainstream information is so wrong. It's so misguided. (laughs) Um, and there's just like so many holes in it. And I think that that just intensified more when I became pregnant. And then, uh, after I had my son, just like the conventional information that we're, we're, we're given and the, the general lack of support really, really frustrated me. And um, as I have gone through this experience the past year um, and then talked to fellow moms and just learning like what, what moms really need and it's not the messages that we're getting and it's not this like shoddy postpartum care. It's we need nourishment, we need support, we need grace, we need rest so that really has just inspired me to to focus on this more specifically um, for women, and also you know this is thing these are things that I've been doing for myself for the past year, just really working to restore my body. And uh, again, you have you have two, so you can relate. Um, a lot happens to your body after you have a baby, and we don't need to feel terrible. Yeah, I, I had very different experiences postpartum with my two babies and I approached the postpartum time very differently with them. So, um, yeah, it, it really does make a difference. And I love what you said about like you wanted to get healthier and it seems like, like the main thing we focus on is calorie restriction. Like, and then, like you said, increasing exercise and like, that is not, that's not really related to health at all. <laughs> nope, not at all. And I've been talking a lot about this lately, um, but just this these myths that are perpetuated by by diet culture, like by a, a, these ideals of thinness equals health and and beauty and worthiness. And um, you know, if you're if you just lose weight, you'll feel better physically, but you know, you'll feel better in your body. You'll feel better about yourself, and we know that's not true. Like if there's deeper dysfunction in your body and there's something that's perpetuating symptoms that you're having, losing weight's most of the time not going to help you do that (laughs) to fix that. And diet, restrictive diets and over-exercise aren't aren't the way to help you get there. And in so many ways, especially in this, in this period, this 
preparing for pregnancy and postpartum period can actually be detrimental. Yeah, because it is like, it's one of these things where we want to put one prescription to everybody. And there are some people who are grossly overeating that need to reduce calories, but that is such a small minimum. And especially not, not women who are, you know, wanting to be a little healthier or like trying to boost their hormones for having babies. And, um, cause if I'm talking like grossly overeating, that's like over 2,500 calories. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like I hate putting numbers on things, but it's like, that's very rare that that's the thing that's going to get you healthier. It's not like eating less of still crappy foods. (laughs) Exactly. And as we know, there's a huge quality piece there too. It's so much easier. I'm sure if I was, you know, if you're eating like processed, really nutrient poor foods that aren't going to fill you up, it's a lot easier to overeat calories. But then once you get to like, I I struggle to get women (laughs) like, eating more than 2000 calories a day when they're eating like unprocessed foods because they're filling and your blood sugar is balanced and you're getting the nutrients you need. So when you kind of switch that up and, and change the conversation from the, the qua- the quantity of your food that you're eating to the quality of your food, the qua- the quantity piece often takes care of itself. Totally agree. Yeah. Because your appetite is a hormone too. Mm-hmm. It's, um, like that'll regulate itself if you're getting fed and you're eating the right foods. But yeah, so yeah, I, I totally want to go into that about the, like, what can we do to support fertility from this hormone standpoint? What can we like try to incorporate more in our diet? And so we'll talk about fertility in general, and then we'll kind of go into that, like multiple children piece, but yeah. So from a broad perspective, and then we can get into the actual nutrition piece, from a really broad perspective of like what is supportive of hormone health, it's reducing overall stress and inflammation. So that's, you know, stress and inflammation that are caused by emotional stressors, like, you know, just chronic stress that we have in dealing with life, um, but also physical stressors. And a lot of this does come down to our nutrient status. So what vitamins and minerals and how much fuel we're actually putting in our bodies, but also things like potential food sensitivities, blood sugar imbalances, digestion, et cetera. So um, within that umbrella kind of, there's a lot of different habits that are supportive of of fertility. But um, when you're looking at what you want to do to support hormones, starting with nutrition, it's making sure that your body's fully nourished, making sure that you are um, getting those nutrients that are supporting ovulation and egg quality and balancing blood sugar. So it's interesting. I don't really think that there's necessarily any nutrient that's not important for fertility, but there definitely are a few that are especially of concern. for fertility, as well as the fact that they are often depleted uh, by things like stress and digestive issues, um, or also like overexcreted due to things like stress, which can uh, make the body excrete certain nutrients and then increase our need for them. So I have like a little bit of a list here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna separate it in a few different categories. So we have what I think is extremely important. And this will fall into the broad category of like types of foods that you're eating. So we talk about the fat soluble vitamins. So that's your 
A-D-E-N-K. Um, these are mostly found in animal foods. So extremely, extremely important because of the roles that these specific nutrients have in the body, but also really extremely important because of how they work together and what the benefits are of the foods that they're in, right? So we know that animal foods have more easily absorbable forms of certain nutrients. Um, they have fats that are extremely important for hormone health. Um, so these, this kind of blanket group, um, is going to be found in those animal foods. So, you know, your proteins, your organ meats, grass-fed butter, um, raw dairy, if you can get your hands on it, minus vitamin D, which we know we need to synthesize from the sun and most people can't. So that's one that you probably will need to supplement based on your levels. So those are extremely important. Then of course you have, you know, your, your vitamins, um, and like I said, there's really nothing that's not important for fertility because fertility is health, right? Like your natural state of health is is, is fertility as a woman. Um, folate, we know, super important. And, and not folic acid, like folate, the natural form, um, super important B vitamin. Choline, we have iron. I'm sorry, iron actually falls on our minerals. We have folate, choline, vitamin C. I put these kind of at the top, especially for the antioxidant properties, vitamin C, folate is really important for preventing neural tube defects in pregnancy, choline, super important for brain development. Um, and the thing about B vitamins, so folate falls in a B vitamin category, in nature, like in food, um, the B vitamins don't exist individually. They all coexist. So if you're focusing on foods that are rich in folate, you're also getting foods that are rich in other B vitamins. So that's, that's pretty easy to do. Um, and then we have things like CoQ10, amino acids, especially the ones that are conditionally essential during, during pregnancy, glycine, proline. These are key components of collagen. We have our mineral group, uh, particularly magnesium. That's one that's very, a very common deficiency, especially for stress. And iron, I mentioned before, and zinc. Zinc is really important for ovulation, progesterone. So the, the one event that you want to make sure is happening if, you're, if you want to get pregnant. Um, and then our fats. Like it's a macronutrient group, but within that, you know, I mentioned the fat-soluble vitamins, but we also have, you know, saturated fats are actually have a, an important role in the body from natural sources. Omega-3 fats are extremely important, and most of us are deficient in them. Um, so that's kind of like my, my list of specifics in terms of nutrients. But the real goal here is, you know, making sure that, yeah, you don't want any nutrient deficiencies or insufficiencies, but if you're focused on a really high-quality, nutrient-dense, minimally processed diet, and you're balancing foods, and you're including animal animal fats and proteins and like more traditional foods like our fermented foods and bone broth, et cetera, you're likely going to cover all of those bases and then you can supplement wherever, wherever you might need to. Yeah, that was a great list. Um, yeah, I just want to highlight a few things like the fat soluble vitamins, they take longer to build up 
than something like a water-soluble vitamin, like a B vitamin or vitamin C. Like, um, I think the fat-soluble vitamins are really important to be building up before you get pregnant, Mm -hmm. ideally, if you can. Um, Same with iron. Iron can take a long time to get your levels up, even if you start supplementing. And then folate, like even though I said that's a water-soluble vitamin and you can get your levels up relatively quickly, it's something that is needed like before you even know that you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. It like in the the biggest uh, need for folate is in those first like few weeks after conception. So it's like one that you could easily miss if you're like, oh, I'm going to start taking my folic acid once I'm two months pregnant. Mm-hmm. It's um, you're kind of missing that window. So that's one that's like a really good one to get in the habit of make sure make sure you're getting that in before you. Um, Again, if you if you can before you get pregnant, but I think that's something. So now we're we're talking about multiple pregnancies. Like, how are we thinking about this again and spacing our children? I think it is something I was a lot. I don't want to say more aware of because I did a lot preparing for my son, but I I knew I'd be depleted between my kids. So it was like that window between I'm done breastfeeding and I start. Uh, before I started trying to get pregnant again, I kept taking my prenatal, like was very focused on this rebuilding aspect. Um, so for me, that wasn't that much of a window. I think it was six months between when I stopped breastfeeding and when I got pregnant again. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot, a lot to keep up. Um, but I think if you're, if you're like in that phase of like maybe wanting to get pregnant again, like keeping up with the fat soluble vitamins are like a really important thing. Um, what about blood work? Is there specific blood work you'd recommend getting for women to see where they're at? Yes. Um, my, so blood work's tricky. Um, blood work, you know, it, it tells a lot of the story definitely can, but it's also like a snapshot in time. So we want to take it with a grain of salt. Um, when I'm working with a client, like I'm looking at their their overall health, their symptom presentation, and there are other labs that I might prioritize. But in the general kind of recommendation for blood work, whether it's like planning for another pregnancy or your first, it's always a good idea to have a complete blood count. Um, especially that includes iron and like an anemia screen. So like your hemoglobin, your ferritin, um, you do want to check your glucose. So like your fasting glucose, your insulin, your hemoglobin, A1C, particularly when it comes to gestational diabetes, there's more information coming out now that it's likely not just something that pops up during pregnancy. It's likely a blood sugar handling issue that wasn't recognized or, you know, untreated or unaddressed before pregnancy. So this is something that's important to look at. Um, I do always recommend that women get a full thyroid panel. So when you go to a doctor and they screen your thyroid, they're generally just checking your TSH, your thyroid stimulating hormone, which is actually a pituitary hormone. And it doesn't actually tell us what the thyroid's doing. So it's important, but you need the full picture. So you, ne- you also need to have your, your T4, your T3, ideally your reverse T3 to see what your body's doing with that T4. Um, so even if your, your doctor does check TSH and T4, 
T4 is the inactive thyroid hormone and it needs to be converted. So we want that T3 value and also reverse T3 to see, you know, if your body is, is producing more of that, which can signal underlying stress, inflammation, et cetera. Um, and then the thyroid antibodies to see if there is an autoimmune thyroid issue, particularly after pregnancy. Um, this is a lot more common. Um, and it can be addressed, whether that's, you know, through medication or, or naturally, but those are all really important. And then, you know, you do want to get your vitamin D checked to, most people are going to need to supplement. So getting your vitamin D checked regularly is a good way to see how much you want to be taking. And then if you can get your serum folate and B12, that's, that's helpful. The things that I prioritize, I mean, it's easy enough if you, you know, you go to your practitioner and you ask for these, or maybe they run it as part of like your routine, um, lab work every year or so. I like to look at, um, comprehensive gut testing with my clients to see, you know, because all those things we talked about with, with foods and nutrients that you're taking, um, if your if your digestive function is compromised in any way, you could be eating the most nutrient dense diet and you're not absorbing those nutrients, right? So, um, particularly after pregnancy and you're trying to replete, but even before you can have nutrient insufficiencies. A lot of, a lot of women are, are depleted. Um, so I like to look at that actually. And then if we're looking for a more functional um, hormone test, the Dutch test, but those are the things that I'm actually looking at because changing your diet is one thing, but making sure that you're absorbing those nutrients and actually repleting those stores and building up those stores is really important. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, for thyroid, yeah, that was something that was surprising to me was that like even autoimmune, like having a slug, sluggish thyroid can be pretty common postpartum, mm -hmm. but then autoimmune thyroid can just pop up like out of nowhere, which I was surprised at. Um, sure. But then, so that's, that's where I was postpartum where my T3 was a little bit sluggish. TSH and T4 were fine, which again, I think is very common, but can we talk about what you would do? So it, it was, um, it was low, like functionally low, but not um, enough where they would put me on a thyroid hormone. So you're kind of in this weird place of a doctor, like uh, an endocrine doctor isn't going to prescribe you anything. So the doctor thinks you're fine, but you know you're not fine. So can we talk about mm -hmm. what you can do just to, I mean, because thyroid, it, it's just like, you don't feel good. No, you don't. And it's frustrating. And I've worked with women with thyroid conditions. It's so frustrating when you have symptoms, especially like thyroid symptoms that line up and your, your doctor tells you you're fine and your lab values look good, <laughs> like, especially when they're not checking the full picture. And then I've had clients like where I've literally had to be like, okay, you need to like either beg or demand from your doctor that they check this and you'd have to advocate for yourself and you have to, you know, tell your doctor, like, I've done research. I, I have X, Y, Z symptoms, which, which line up with, with this. And I really want to get the full picture. And, and most doctors will do it. Like, it's not like your doctor's going to fight you for it. It's just that it's not part of their routine work usually. Um, 
So yeah, when there's, and that's, I've had that in the past. I haven't actually had my thyroid rechecked postpartum, or maybe I have, I forget. <laughs> you can tell this year has gone. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've dealt with that a lot. That was, that was part of my um, kind of personal clinical history is like subclinical low uh, T3 hormone, which when I'm looking at that, especially if we don't have the, if we, if we do have the information with reverse T3, right, your body can convert T4 into free T3, you know, like your regular active T3 or reverse T3, which is inactive. And a lot of times the body will, so if we have this reverse T3 value, we can see what the ratio is. Um, if your body's pr- producing more, converting more to reverse T3, it's a sign of metabolic dysfunction in that your body's saying, okay, we need to slow the metabolism for whatever reason, whether that's like stress or you're not eating enough food or not sleeping enough. Like there's a metabolic reason for that. Um, and that can be a very common reason. That's why I like to see both values together. If you don't reverse T3 is not something that's generally checked. So if you have a subclinical low T3, but the other ranges are, are okay. A, we're looking at, you know, what are the optimal ranges, like the functional ranges versus what might be on your lab work. Um, sometimes they differ a lot. And looking at under eating. So under eating can definitely decrease T3, especially um, carb depletion, like not eating enough carbohydrates. Stress. So it's a kind of a blanket statement for so many different things, but you know, looking at the level of stress in your life and also looking at the gut and liver because a huge portion of that conversion from T4 to T3 happens in your gut and your liver. So that's another reason why I'm really looking at the um, digestive function and the microbiome to see uh, what's going on there. And I mean, if you're looking for like active things to do besides, you know, digging and, and, and getting into the underlying things, it's it's definitely like limiting your stress, making sure you're sleeping enough, making sure you're eating enough overall, and also enough micro, micronutrients. Um, those are pretty broad things that you can do if you are dealing with that, or you, if you are somebody who maybe has thyroid symptoms, but your doctor won't check this, or um, you know the, the levels are within range, but you still have symptoms. Less stress, more sleep, and more nutrition is never, a, uh, never problematic, never a bad idea for anything. Yeah. And that's where you almost want to like tell people, trust your body. What is your body telling you? Don't just trust like your doctor is showing you a number on your lab and saying, nope, you're fine. Like if you're not fine, you probably know it. Or if you think you could feel better. And that's where working with somebody like me or Kim, like um, we can look at the labs and kind of decipher some of that for you because it is hard to get that on your own. Like if your doctor runs a lab and says like, well, it should be fine, but you can even Google like functional ranges mm-hmm. for thyroid hormone and see where you're at. Cause it's going to be very different than the range that your blood work has on it. Yes. And my other piece of advice for ev- everyone is just always get a copy of your blood work and then you can look up, you can, you can, and you have that on your record and you can compare, especially pre and post pregnancy, you can see like, what was your thyroid doing before? And now what's it doing? And you have that very specific information to to go based off of. And if you have a doctor that's not helping you, 
you can always get a new one. You can always seek somebody out who will listen and who will, um, you know, address what you want to address. That's, that's really important is that advocate, you know, that advocate piece. This podcast is partially supported by the Real Food for Real Moms postpartum prep guide. Hillary Bennett and I are nutritionists, and we co-created this resource to inform and empower mothers and prepare for a healthy and happy postpartum period. In our guide, we cover the unique nutrient needs of the postpartum mom and dive deep into the various aspects of recovery and lactation. We make sure mom and baby both have their bases covered, and we pair this with yummy recipes that will make it easy to stay nourished. Our guide takes you through practical steps for stocking your freezer with casseroles, soups, snacks, and so much more, as well as giving you convenient recipes for after the baby comes. As a listener of this podcast, we're inviting you to be a part of our beta launch. You can snag a copy now for 30% off and we'll send you the final version once it's released later this year. You can also get a free sneak peek by going to realfoodforrealmoms.com and joining our email list. We're so excited to have you as a part of this community and we look forward to supporting you through motherhood. So let's get into the rebuilding after pregnancy piece. So how does pregnancy and like going through breastfeeding and labor and all of it, how does that leave you depleted of these nutrients? So, you know, starting in pregnancy, you're, you're growing another human um, and you are fully responsible for nourishing that, that human. So this is one reason why your diet and your nutrition during pregnancy is so important. And it's, it's, you know, so many moms are like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to eat, I'm going to prioritize my nutrition while I'm pregnant um, for the baby. And that's important. You know, you're getting, you're giving your baby your nutrients, but you also need to think about yourself. And this is a nice metaphor for the rest of your, your life as a mother. Um, Your body is going to pull from your stores to give to your baby. That's the priority. There are certain nutrients, especially your minerals and even DHA. And it's going to pull that from your brain to give to your baby. So this is one reason why prenatal vitamins are a thing, um, making sure you have all those important nutrients covered because there are certain nutrient needs that increase during pregnancy. So just knowing that like the nutrients that you eat are important, but your body's going to pull them from your body to give to your baby as the priority. So that's one way that you can be depleted. Um, and then, you know, depending on your labor, your birth, your postpartum, if you're breastfeeding or not, there's subsequent depletion that can happen. Even if you are working to replenish, if you had a really long and exhausting labor or, you know, maybe it resulted in a C-section, which is surgery that your body needs to heal from. Um, if you lost a lot of blood, which, you know, you lose blood and fluids anyway, but, you know, maybe you had a postpartum hemorrhage or, or you know, another event. So that's going to be really important, especially for your iron stores. And then um, breastfeeding, you know, you're, again, your body's going to pull nutrients from your body to fortify your, your breast milk, especially if you're exclusively breastfeeding. I mean, that's your baby's sole nutrition source. So, um, breastfeeding is just another way that you can become more depleted, especially, you know, with extended breastfeeding, especially, you know, beyond the first one to two years, if you continue, um, and aren't actively working to, re- to replenish your body, you can just be fully depleted. Um, so 
Yeah. And it depends on the mom. It depends on what things looked like before you got pregnant. It depends on your pregnancy. It's not like a one size fits all ever, but for every mom, there is definitely some degree of replenishment that needs to happen after you have a baby. And that's again, setting you up if you're going to have another one. Yeah. I totally agree with what you're saying about people wanting to focus on nutrition when they're pregnant because they have this direct idea of this is for my baby but that I have seen it commonly like leave when you're postpartum and mm-hmm. resort to like snacking and like, cause everybody will quote that like, Oh, you need an extra 500 calories a day, but nobody's talking about like, Oh yeah, you also need more DHA and choline for your breast milk and vitamin D. Like it, it's not just the calories mm-hmm. that you need to have more of. So I love that you put it that way, but, and then if we're talking about, you're, you're a body that wants to have another baby after this one. If you're letting yourself get depleted like that, you're actually robbing that nutrition from your next baby too. It's not just yourself. Yeah. Um, And there's also, you know, there's studies, there's research showing that, you know, when pregnancies are spaced too close together, especially if the mother's stores aren't repleted, um, there's increased risk for both the baby and the mom. Um, but I also like to, you know, frame it this way when you're pregnant and you're, you're, you're focused on specific nutrition to help really nourish your baby, because like you said, you have that direct connection, but even after your baby's born, there's an indirect connection to nourishing yourself, right? Because you want to feel good. You want to have enough energy. You want to be fully present for your baby. So it's important to re- replenish and support you as well as supporting your baby because, you know, this is how you thrive and, and this is how, if you are looking to have subsequent pregnancies, this is how you do restore. So it is, it's, it's really important and it, it's frustrating that it's just not emphasized as much. No, I talk about this a lot, actually, because with my first, I had a lot of trouble with breastfeeding and it was like, I was doing all this like power pumping, like doing everything to get an extra two ounces of milk. I thought you might. Yeah. Uh, And it was like, like he actually needed a mom who was present more than he needed the two ounces of milk that I could have just supplemented. Yes. I we could go on a total tangent here, but I've had, <laughs> I had a breastfeeding journey from hell. Um, and I remember that was one of the things that, you know, really spoke to me was what's the kind of cost benefit of this. For me, it was because I was pumping exclusively. I mean, I still am, but it's different now. Um, but for a lot of moms, it is breastfeeding or exclusively breastfeeding. Like if it's taxing you physically, but also if it's taxing you mentally, it's important to make a decision for you as well, right? Like it's so honorable to prioritize your baby number one, but like we can't completely forget about ourselves in the process. And that again, metaphor for across the board, but yeah, this is one of those things that you need to, you need to put yourself first too, because if you're not functioning and you're not feeling good physically, mentally, like it's going to impact your baby for sure. Yeah. And that's something like, thankfully with this, this pregnancy. And I I've been able to check that. Like if I'm making decisions, like my daughter started waking up and wanted to feed at night again, like around when she was ready to start having solids. And, 
um, basically I was just checking in with myself. Like, do you have the capacity for this? And I was being really honest. It, it wasn't just a given that, um, you know, and it mm-hmm. sounds selfish saying it, but it's not, it's, no. it's allowed me to be more present with my family, connect with my toddler, connect with my husband. Like it's, it's created such a healthier space for us. Yes. So I, I fully agree. And I'm, um, I commend you for being honest and open about that because I mean, there's so much pressure to, to do, every, you know, so many different things, but breastfeeding especially. And sometimes like you have to find a happy medium. Yeah, there is. And a lot of the, the places that are specifically supporting moms who are having trouble breastfeeding are so pushing that agenda that it can be kind of devastating. Like when you're going to them for help and they're just, um, you know, pushing, pushing one opinion, not looking at the whole picture. So 100%. That was definitely a tangent, but I, I agree. I think it was a good one. No, it's um, important. And, uh, you know, as you know, it's like I've, I've had a, a journey with it and I'm always willing to talk about it because I, you know, I, I feel like with, in my situation, I didn't have the support that I needed. I had tons of support, but I didn't maybe have the support that I, in my situation needed. Totally. Like just having somebody who's willing to care about you, you care about the process, look at the big picture uh, it is hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this is all valid when we're talking about reading our bodies for another pregnancy, mm-hmm. like this ability to check in and say, uh, how am I feeling? Like, whether you're still breastfeeding or whether you're, uh, you know, no matter how long it was between pregnancies, I think it is like good. It's something you have to learn, right? Like check in with let's be really honest. And how am I feeling? Yeah. Cause you can definitely get just caught up in like the day to day and like the agenda, right? Like if you have, you know, using breastfeeding as the example, like when I had my son, my plan was like, oh, I'm going to exclusively breastfeed and you know, two plus years. And like when things don't go that way or, you know, the, the course shifts you can really get caught up in what your like original goal was and, and get caught up in what you the goal was even before the baby was here and you have to be willing to like shift and be flexible. And, and, you know, there's definitely a physical component with nutrient repletion and like the adrenals and sleep and pelvic floor and so much more when it comes to pregnancy spacing. But there's also just like this readiness factor and like, are you emotionally ready? Like to have another baby and what do you need to do for yourself between that? Because, you know, when you, when you're, you're pregnant, you're breastfeeding and then you're pregnant again, it's like your body is focused on another person and like, you know, is, do you have enough time for you? Do you feel really good physically, emotionally? So sometimes it's, it's, it's definitely like there's technical stuff that needs to happen, but there's also this like broader picture. Um, and I, I think that that's really important because mom might feel really good about having babies space close together. And then a mom might have wanted babies closer together, but then like when it comes down to it and, and reality hits, she's just like, okay, no, like I just don't feel ready for it. And that's totally okay too. Yeah, it really is. I think it might even be easier to check out from yourself during this time, especially if it's not a habit you've built before getting pregnant. Like, like eating intuitively or like tuning in to how you feel after workouts or whatever it is, 
you can get in this space of like being set on a certain path or like, like, oh, I'm doing this for my baby and I'm completely exhausted all the time, yet I'm still trying to work full time and I'm not letting myself rest because I'm busy or I have a toddler or whatever it is. Um, yeah, Like almost being able to justify it because you're doing it for your baby, exactly. even though it's like... <laughs> Yeah, you're not serving either of you. It's a victim mentality. It's like a martyr type of thing. It it can, you know, it can allow you to not have to check in with yourself because you're so focused on that one thing. And maybe you're trying to avoid. And I know that I'm working through that even right now. Um, We talked about like breastfeeding and things like, you know, I'm exclusively pumping and I'm at a point where it's just like really hard (laughs) with a, a baby that's now walking and like demands a lot of my time and energy. And like, you know, for so long, I kind of like chugged along with it. And I'm, I know that I'll, I will continue for a little while, but I'm, I might wean before I had planned. And that's just like life. And um, it requires a bit of a check-in. It, it really does. Like is, and you have to kind of continually do that. Like is what I'm doing, whether it is, you know, breastfeeding, feeding related or anything else. It's like, is what I'm doing working right now? <laughs> How do I feel? And like, if it's not working, how do I fix it? What do I do? And that requires that flexibility and that, you know, grace that you have to give yourself because this stuff is, it's heavy. It's challenging. It's, there's no one, one specific answer and um, there's no shame that has to come along with any of it. And I think we've kind of built it up that there has to be. Totally. Yeah. Cause I went through something really similar with my daughter. Like when she was waking up in the middle of the night, I just said, I was kind of, I did it for a while. And then I was kind of at the point where I'm like, no, I I need this to stop. I'm going to stop feeding her in the middle of the night. But I called a fellow nutritionist and lactation consultant. And I almost needed permission from somebody who like agreed that breastfeeding is really important. And like the supply and demand is real, Mm -hmm. but I'm still going to make this other choice. (laughs) So, and that's fine. That's true. You know, that we have that validation. (laughs) Right. If you want permission to stop pumping, I will give it to you. Even though I fully think there's a lot of benefits of breast milk, like it's not the only thing. So yeah, ex- thank you. And and that's what we need. <laughs> we we need that like honest and it, it it's tough. Like as a nutrition practitioner, as somebody who's studied this, like I know the benefits of breast milk, and that's you know you can kind of get wrapped up in that too. There's that that happens a lot in pregnancy and and postpartum with so many different things that you, you know, you kind of tie like a little bit of value and worth to it where sometimes it can be a pretty easy decision. It's like, whatever's calling you, you can, you can do it. You don't have to consider every, every little thing. Totally. And I know we did go on a breastfeeding tangent, but I do think a lot of people are going to relate to this. Like just whether it's breastfeeding or something else where it's like, you know what, you can, you can focus on yourself. You can rebuild. You can like, your body is not just this like baby machine. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yes. Um, And yeah. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah, like I know. So there's a lot of different factors, obviously in deciding about how much space to give Mm -hmm. between babies, but let's think from just a nutritional standpoint is there like an ideal amount of time that you want to wait? Um, it probably depends on when you stop breastfeeding, but I'm interested to hear your take on that. Yeah. So I think that, again, like 
my favorite answer is it depends, <laughs> but I know people like answers. So when we go to the research, right, like what do the studies show at least 18 months between um, the birth of one baby and then the conception of the next baby? That's what research is showing. Um, they're showing even improved outcomes at 12 months in between. Anything like less than that, we know that there's increased risk for the baby. So like increased risk of preterm birth, um, neural tube defects, um, intrauterine growth restriction. And then, you know, with mom, there's increase of anemia, cervical insufficiency, um, third trimester bleeding. And also that's a lot to do with just nutrient repletion. So 18, somewhere between 12 to 18 months at the minimum is what I generally suggest. Um, and then along with that, really working to replete nutrient stores. What I found interesting, and I know that you study the work of um, Dr. Weston Price. Um, so for those who don't know, Dr. Weston Price was a, a dentist. He studied indigenous cultures and their diets and compared them to the more modernized um, groups of people and those that were eating like traditional diets and living traditionally versus those eating processed diets and living, you know, in the more modern, this was like back in the twenties, thirties. And he found that indigenous cultures, they waited two and a half to three years between. And these are also cultures that were eating like a lot of super nutrient dense foods, um, like nose to tail with their animals and organ meats. Um, so that found that really interesting. It's, it's, I don't know where this like idea that we need to have, you know, there's, there's part like family construct, like you wanting, wanting to have siblings close together. There's part like, you know, we, we have women that are waiting a little bit later in life to have their first baby. So there's a lot that goes into it, but I just thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so if, you know, you, you feel like you're not ready in that typical, socially accepted like 18 months to 24 months like it's it's okay <laughs> it's perfectly fine um so there's that nutrient standpoint and then there's also things like your adrenals and your thyroid um particularly what's your sleep like is your baby sleeping through the night are you still you know nursing on demand and waking up often uh what's your stress level and with that you know addressing like your readiness factor and like you know, also thinking about any birth trauma or uh, postpartum mental health struggles that you had with your previous pregnancy, addressing those and maybe having a plan, a plan for those in place for the next time. And, um, you know, there's also your pelvic floor and core that needs to heal. And sometimes that can't fully happen until breastfeeding is completed. So when we think about like breastfeeding in the picture, uh, you I know a lot of women and you can successfully conceive and continue breastfeeding while pregnant, but for like that full repletion and just giving mom a break, I really recommend that, that women wait a few months. Uh, so like wean and have that time fully, like only focused on themselves for at least like four to six months before conceiving again. Yeah, I like that. And when you said the two to three, two and a half to three years thing, my first thought was like, yeah, easy to say if you're having kids in your early 20s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, there's the there's the research and then there's reality. So if you want to have babies closer together, if you do start later, or maybe you had infertility issues and you have to, you know, kind of start 
sooner so that you can get ahead of potential infertility struggles again, right? There's so much you could do. Like you can still be proactive. And it's not saying like you're going to harm your body. It's just like, okay, let's take the facts. Let's assess where you're at in terms of your nutrition and your digestion and like all those other things that I mentioned. And let's just like get a head start on, on addressing those things and making sure that your body is like the healthiest it can be before you have another baby. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, just paying attention to where you're at. And there's a lot of that that you'll kind of either feel ready or not. Like, yeah, is your sex drive back or is it something where that you're too. like having to force it? Yeah. that That's really important. I mean, like when you think about just like biological mechanisms of fertility, it's like having, you know, we didn't talk about this, but like having a, a regular period and knowing and knowing that you're ovulating, that's key. And then there is that biological piece of like, what's your sex drive like? And also the thought, like I know myself, um, I had people ask me when my son was like five months, like, oh, when's, you know, when's the next one? And I was like completely repulsed and like just freaked out by that thought. Like, oh my God, like, no, 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 no. And now that he's a year, I mean, not that I'm thinking about it anytime soon, but the thought is like, okay, like now it's realistic and now I can start supporting him and planning for it in the future, but I'm not completely like freaked out by the idea of it. So you have to like assess that too, right? It's like that typical, like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about it? If it's not positive, then maybe you're just not ready. <laughs> it, I don't know how much that could be tr- fully trusted. I do remember with this second baby, it was like, two weeks in and I was asking like, do you think maybe we could just have two right away together? And I'm like, my husband's like, I I don't trust that you're in your right mind right now, honey. (laughs) That is true. That is true. And that's, I think that's also why. Oxytocin. (laughs) Your body checks you a little bit on that early postpartum, you know, especially if you are breastfeeding, like by not giving you your period back, like we're like, we're not going to restore your fertility because it wouldn't be a good idea to have a baby right now. Just in case you're yeah. crazy enough to want one. Yeah, no, I, I'm still not. Uh, I still don't have my cycle back. So yeah, so that's uh, an important piece too, right? And and that's yeah. something that you can work toward. Um, I have worked with a few women that, um, you know, that is the goal. They're like, okay, my, my period didn't come back after I had my first and like, I'm ready for a second, but I need my period back. So that's a really important key piece. Yeah. Well, so... This is going to be kind of tangenty too, but I think it's important to talk about, like we brushed on this a bit, but the like postpartum weight loss piece. So this is something that even pretty recently someone asked me, so I'm seven months postpartum now, and I was asked like, do you have, are you trying to lose weight basically? And I said, no, like very instinctually. and then I thought about it and I'm like, well, no, my main goal is like, we're not sure we want a third kid, but if I do, I don't want to be depleting myself of anything. And really I would say right around six months. So that was only like three weeks ago, maybe two, three weeks ago when my daughter was eating more food, I've started to feel like, okay, I can focus on some personal health goals now if I want to. Mm -hmm. where it's not all about just, um, feeding her, like putting everything in, in into like making sure I'm taking as much in as I can so that I can 
you know, have this energy to give out. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this, this piece about trying to lose the baby weight, I feel like it can be really harmful. <laughs> it can. And it, it's understandable. And it's, it's not so much of a tangent in that a lot of women aren't ready for the next baby until they actually, I've seen it go both ways. Like I've seen women like, I don't want to get pregnant until I lose the baby weight from the first baby. Um, so I'm kind of starting back at like my pre-pregnancy status from before. And then I've also heard women like, well, I might as well just bang it all out and, and then focus on me after I'm pregnant, you know? So I think it does actually, it is really relevant for, for this topic, but also the repletion piece. If you're, if you're restricting nutrients, especially before your body's ready, um, now you're just negatively impacting your body's ability to restore even more. Um, and, and of course that it, it also depends on what type of foods you're eating. Like if you have a highly processed diet and now you're just going to cut calories back, now you're taking suboptimal nutrients and decreasing them even more. But there is a way to focus on a super nutrient rich diet and have a moderate kind of caloric restriction. But like you mentioned, like focusing on health, that's the key piece is that your body gains weight during pregnancy or for a reason. And your body after pregnancy holds on to it for various different reasons. Um, so getting down to those versus cut, just cutting calories and, and focusing on that approach, because we know that weight and particularly like fat loss, fat gain is kind of a symptom of something else going on. I don't say symptom like negatively because things like breastfeeding can actually make your body hold on to weight, but addressing those is actually the way that you help your body achieve its set weight. Like it's happy weight that you feel comfortable at. So, um, by doing things like repleting nutrients, focusing on hormone health, restoring a healthy period when it comes back, balancing blood sugar. These are the ways that you get your body functioning better, your metabolism firing, so that it's not a struggle for your body to lose lose that weight. Yeah, and that's all, that's what I like to say a lot. Like give yourself the right inputs, but don't mm-hmm. focus on the outcome. And that was something like I, I did help hold on to weight when I was breastfeeding. I still am this time, not quite as much, but yeah, with my son, when I stopped breastfeeding, I lost 25 pounds in a month, wow. which does not happen from like diet and exercise. You know what I mean? It was just mm-hmm. like my body was ready to let it go. And it did because I had been giving it these healthy inputs for a long time and it was somewhat frustrating, but I kept checking myself like, no, it's, it's okay. Honestly, I will say this in case anybody is like in this postpartum phase with their first baby, which I guess you are. um, It did freak me out a little bit because people would tell me, oh yeah, you'll never, you'll never lose that weight. Your metabolism changes once you have a baby and this is just it now. And it was just like, it was not just that I was holding on to excess weight, but it was just like, it was all in my stomach. So nothing fit. Like you, you couldn't find clothes that were like, um, 
you know, my normal size that I was plus this belly, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm, I'm at now too. And it's different for everybody, I'm sure. But, um, it was really frustrating to me to think that it was permanent, Mm -hmm. even though it was just such a, it's really like now with my second, it's easy to say like, oh, this is such a short phase. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't feel short when you're in it, but I I know exactly. No, totally. But yeah, I mean, and I think that's one of my biggest struggles, like with changing this narrative of like what we tell women about their bodies after they have babies and what's the truth. And we have this back and forth, two polar opposite messages that we get. We get that message like, oh, this is just the way you're going to look and feel now. So you got to settle. And then we also get the message that like, nope, you can just bounce back and like look and feel like your pre-pregnancy self really quickly. Like it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. Neither one makes sense. Um, and, and I struggle a lot because I know that there are so many moms that just do settle because they think like, Oh, this is, this is it now. Like this is the best I'm going to feel in my body. Um, now that I've had babies, I'm ruined and and it's, it doesn't need to be that way at all. Um, a lot of it is temporary, but it's just frustrating that anybody has the everybody's experience is so different and it, it, it matters how you're taking care of your body and what you're doing for yourself. So there's nothing that sure things change. You'll never be in your pre-pregnancy body again. It like, it's like just not physically possible because you were pregnant, but you know, there's, there's so much that you can do and so much that is temporary and so much that you have control of. Yeah. And it can be a self-fulfilling prof- prophecy. Like I, I think one thing we just need to disconnect in our minds is associating eating healthy and exercising with the size we are. Because for so many people, it's so tied that if you hear these messages like, well, you're never going to be thin anyway, then it's like, oh, well, I might as well then not eat healthy and not exercise because it's not going to make a difference anyway. Exactly. 100%. The internal state of your health and your size and shape, they don't one doesn't cause the other. It's like your body has its own shape and you're like you said, you, you, and I'm the same way. Like I'm holding on to weight and I do fully believe that it'll change once I wean. But I also know women who, I know women who couldn't keep weight on when they were breastfeeding and they struggled. Um, they lost weight so fast. So it's just, it's so different for everyone. And you can't equate like I often hear moms struggle because they had a friend or a family member or somebody that they knew that like, oh, well, they breastfeeding helped them lose weight. And and they were back in their, in their jeans a month, you know, a month or two later. And I struggle with that because I'm like, we can't assume, we can't know what that woman did to do that. Right. Like, was that natural? Did she just like continue on and she was taking care of herself and she was able to lose that weight? Or did that mom like, head back to intense exercise before she was ready and start dieting and cutting calories and like not focusing on health in order to do that. So there's, we have, you're right. We have to just stop associating the two things. Yeah. And I, I had a man tell me that when I was postpartum and holding on to weight, I was, you know, quite a bit bigger and have, I was in a wedding and he was like, Oh, I thought breastfeeding made you lose weight. And I still want to slap him. Yeah, that's a man. <laughs> I'm like, you don't know my body. Like, no. And no. you don't know women. Like I just, I get so frustrated when anybody makes any comment about any, any woman's body, especially like, 
all of a sudden, because you have, you're having a baby or you had a baby, like people are allowed to say what they want. Like that baffles me, but also that people that haven't been in that experience, like who are you to comment on it? It's crazy. Yeah. And I just want to touch on one more piece and get your opinion on this. Cause I kind of have mixed feelings, but restricting carbohydrate, and I'm going to, I'm going to refer to this period, maybe after six months when I'm saying you can have your own personal health goals. Like I, I think restricting carbohydrates can be very stressful on your body, right? Cause it mm-hmm. uses carbohydrates for energy. Like it's pretty important for making milk to have the starch available um, but I, I am somebody who does tend to feel better with a reduced carbohydrate diet. And that is something that I did, um, when I was still breastfeeding my son. And I mean, it's probably going to go back to how do you feel, but I'm, I'm curious your take on that. Like, is that something you'd never recommend for rebuilding or is it something that some people can do? Yeah, carbs are tricky. Um, for women, I generally am not recommending like a very low carb diet. Like, there's very specific scenarios, and it's generally not anybody that falls in the postpartum category. But there's very limited scenarios where a modified, short term, super low carb, like even keto diet, can be helpful. But most of the time, I don't find it necessary. And when we're looking at carbohydrate intake, yes, you definitely need to look at personalization. Like how do you feel? I know that even, even myself, um, different times in my life, I feel better with less or more. Like right now I'm at a time where I feel better with a little bit more carbohydrate. So we have to look at the personalization factor, like what type of exercise are you doing? Things like that. But then we also need to look at the quality of the carbohydrates that you're eating. So having like roughly 30% of your calories from carbohydrates is going to affect your body way differently if those carbohydrates are coming from like processed refined grain sources versus like whole nutrient dense grains, um, but especially things like roots and tubers and fruits and vegetables. So, um, I guess my like simple answer to that is like a very low carb diet postpartum. I don't usually recommend, especially if you're breastfeeding, um, and a, you know, moderate carb intake up to a higher carb intake, depending on how you feel can be helpful. Just, you know, focusing on what the quality and, and, uh, the sourcing of those carbohydrates are. That's so good. Well, yeah, thank you so much. I feel like we covered so much in this episode and I hope it's really helpful to people either like in this postpartum stage, like still nursing or kind of in that between stage thinking about having another baby. I think there's so much here. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a really good conversation. Yeah. And where can people find you? So the easiest place to find me is Instagram. I'm just at root and branch nutrition. And um, in terms of website, just rootandbranchnutrition.com. Awesome. Well, 
everybody, we would love it if you emailed us your questions at nourishedandnurturing at gmail.com. And you can find me, Michelle, at michelletaggy.nutrition on Instagram and on my website, michelletaggy.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week.